with something that I, probably all of us struggle with at some point, and that's greed. Greed. We're going to talk about some greed today. It's going to be a good time. You know, as I was <clears throat> thinking about how to get started when talking about greed, I was trying to think of a good story or a good illustration to get us into the topic. And uh, this morning, I, I, had, I had one story that I was going to share, but I, I decided to change my mind as I was thinking more about it this morning. And so what I want you to do with me is for a minute picture a time where maybe you have been the recipient of an unexpected monetary gift. Somebody just gave you something. Maybe it was a dollar, or maybe it was $10, or $50, or $100, whatever it was. Think of a time where you were gifted, hopefully all of us have at some point been gifted, a little bit of money at some point. Think about the, the feelings that went along with that. feels pretty good to be gifted something, especially when it's money. Because then you can use that money for paying off debts. Or if you're like me, I'm gifted money a lot so I can get something out of the snack concession thing. <laughs> I'm uh, trying to constantly be gifted money at work so I can get that next little snack. But that's for another story. But think about the time where you've been gifted that money and the feelings that go along with it and how great it feels to be gifted the money. Now, what I want you to think instead, on the flip side, is a time where you've been around somebody who has been gifted money, where you watched somebody be gifted money. They didn't give it to you. You were there to see them get a monetary gift. And the feelings that went along with that. Now, I think it could be easily said that all of us, at some point, when we've seen somebody be gifted something, I think probably the best case scenario is that we would want to be happy for them, right? But sometimes, in the back of your minds, that small, quiet voice, or maybe for me, more often than not, it's a louder voice, goes, <laughs> why didn't I get the 50 bucks? <laughs> You see, when those types of thoughts and feelings start creeping up on us, that's where we start to get into the realm of greed. You see, if I was not letting greed overtake my feelings and my thoughts, I could just be happy for the person who had been gifted $50. That'd be great. Man, what an awesome thing that that person was. He was gifted 50 bucks. He can get lots of snacks from the, from the vending machine. <laughs> Maybe he can get me a snack from the vending machine. <laughs> I will allow him to get me. But you see, there's this thing inside of us. Some people call it human nature. Some people call it just who we are as people. But Scripture tells us, God tells us, that it's a little thing that nibbles away at our lives called greed. And that's what we're going to look at today. 
The story that I was thinking about earlier that I changed my mind on uh, was yesterday afternoon. We were sitting around the house. We've been house-sitting for mom and dad while they're gone so that their dog doesn't freak out or anything. And uh, we were watching TV. And we're searching the hundreds of channels for something to watch, of course. And so I finally landed on a show that I thought would be mostly appropriate for all of us together. And it was The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, I, <laughs> I've i been a, a pretty big C.S. Lewis fan for a long time. Um, I, I try not to read too much of his stuff very often because his stuff hurts my head. But, uh, <laughs> but The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a really great movie to talk about our relationship with God. Because the whole story, if, you've not, if you're not familiar with The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, are, are more of an allegory or a metaphor for humans and their relationship with God. And so as we're watching this show, um, of course we see Aslan the lion, and uh, he's going to the, the altar to sacrifice himself in place of somebody else. And so I'm talking with Kelsey about what that means and how it's a story about how Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And, and, uh, and then it got me thinking. You know, in the story, there's Aslan, and he's the lion, and he's big time. But there's also the, the ice queen, the, the white witch. And I thought to myself, you know, the whole story about, at least in that first part of the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, it really comes down to greed. Because here is this white witch who Aslan has left Narnia for some time, at this point, and through her greed, she decides to make herself queen of Narnia. She's not the real queen. She's not really in charge, but her greed has overtaken her. And she lets it eat away at her life. And so we're going to talk about through scripture today what that means and how we can overcome those feelings. And so first of all, what I'd like for you to do with me is turn to First Timothy, and if you've got your Bibles or your electronic devices with your Bibles on them, what I'd love for us to do is look at, first, and it's also in your, in your bulletin, in your notes, but 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. <clears throat> and we want to read this together. So, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So, just in that first part, we see already... where Paul's talking about the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So just in that first sentence, we start to see the idea of greed. Now, I want us to make a distinction together. You'll see where it says, for the love of money is, a root, is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. And I think sometimes we misinterpret what the verse really means, or what that, what that statement really means. You see, money in and of itself is neutral. Money is kind of amoral. If there were two people sitting across from each other at a table and we laid a $100 bill down between them, the money is not going to get up and slap the other one in the face. The money doesn't do that. But if we say the first one to take the money gets to keep it, 
then we have a different story. (laughs) You see, it's greed at its root level that is the cause of all kinds of evil. Money can do lots of great things. It can do lots of bad things. But money in and of itself isn't the problem. It's the love of money. You see, greed, when it really comes down to it, greed is the driving force behind all sorts of things that will eat away at your life. And as we walk through this lesson today, we're going to see how some of those things can overtake us. You'll see right under in your bulletin the first couple of blanks here. Let's define what greed is together. I think greed is an overwhelming desire to have more of something than is actually needed. An overwhelming desire to have more of something than is actually needed. So you see in the first statement there from First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money in and of itself. Money is kind of like a brick. A brick can be used to build a hospital, and that's good. A brick can be used to break a window, and that's bad. Money in and of itself isn't the problem. It's the love of money. It's the greed that comes from it. But it goes on and it says, Now you, man of God, run from these things, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called and have made a good confession before many witnesses. You see, so we get in this verse from 1 Timothy a definition of what can eat away at our life. Greed. It's not really the money that's the problem. But then we get a call to action. So your, your scripture may say, but you, Timothy, what I'd like for you to do is if you've got a, an actual Bible that you can write, or even in your notes, just scratch out the name Timothy and write your own name in. But you, Jeff, belong to God. So run from all of these evil things. Write your own name in there. Because it's this call to action that God wants us to see. You see, we have the love of money, the greed that eats away at our lives. But we, as people of God, should run from those evil things, follow what is right and good, pursue the godly life, and fight the good fight for what we believe. Let's break this down a little bit more. Here in your notes, we see that a life of greed and some blanks. The first one we want to talk about is a life of greed robs my joy. A life of greed robs my joy. Right below that you see a verse from the book of Job, chapter 20 and verse 20. It says he was always greedy but never satisfied. Now Job is a guy who knows a little bit about sacrifice. (laughs) If you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job was one of the richest guys 
in the Old Testament. He had a lot. He had a lot of lands. He had some cattle. He had a big family. But he was a really big man of God. He was a follower. He was a believer. He knew where all of his stuff came from. And because of that, the story goes that Satan wanted to to test him. Satan goes to God and he says, God, you know, you've got this guy Job. He's a a pretty cool dude. I, I get that. But he's got all of this stuff. That's why he follows you. It's because he's got all this stuff. You keep giving him all of these things. You keep blessing his life. Hashtag blessed. And he's got all of this stuff. That's why he follows you. Satan was totally into hashtags, by the way. So Satan says, God, if you'll just let me test him a little bit, if you'll just let me take a little bit away from him, then I promise he will turn away from you. And so God says, you know what? Let's try it. Do anything you want. Don't hurt Job. Okay, cool. I can handle that. So Satan starts taking little bits of stuff away from him. Takes his lands, takes his cattle. He eventually starts taking his friends and his family. So that all Job is left with are two or three people who are really trying to bring him down. (laughs) They keep telling him, Job, man, just give it up. You have almost nothing now. Can't you see that God is just robbing you of everything? I think some of that will echo really well today. You know, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of different people in the line of work that I do. A lot of people who I can see have been jaded by their experience with Christians and with churches. And it hurts me to know that that's something that they've experienced in their life. People who ask the types of questions like, well, if God is so good, then how can he kill everybody with cancer? Or if God is so good, then how can he send tsunamis? And You've heard the questions before. I don't know sometimes the right words to say, but what I can tell people is that we unfortunately live in a world that's broken. There's a fix. It's not easy. In fact, he told us that it wouldn't be. But the fix is to believe and have faith that God will take care of his people. Sometimes taking care of his people in a broken world is hard. People still die. People still get sick. But having the faith to know that this isn't the end is the best part. And that's where Job was at. Because of the greed of the people around him, he understood that greed can rob our joy. But let's move on. A life of greed results in overspending. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. A life of greed results in overspending. 
In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 27, it says, A greedy man brings trouble to his family. I am an overspender. (laughs) Misty will be the first person to tell you. When we first got married, I was in charge of our finances. Was. It did not take long for me to not be in charge of our finances. A big red flag for us should have been that before we got married, when we were in college together, I went uh, as a part of uh, what our, our school at Ozark Christian College does is something called camp teams. And every summer, uh, they compile groups of four to five, well, it's four, four people. Uh, there's tw- 10 to 12 groups of these four people. And they go out to summer camps, church camps, all over the summer. Um, I was probably the first, a part of the f- probably first and last all-male group uh, because that much testosterone in a very small van for four to six weeks is just not a good idea. But um, we, <laughs> we, we did it. We went out. We, we went to four church camps. Um, we went to one in New Mexico, one in Colorado, and then one in Missouri. Coincidentally enough, all church camps that I had been to in the past as a kid, but that's for another story. So we all were designated jobs. My job was the keeper of the finances for our group. It was just a bad idea. Uh, the case in point came toward the end of our time together as a camp team uh, on paper. So we had these T-shirts that we were selling. They were great T-shirts. Everybody wanted them. We sold out. But on paper, I had lost like $500 worth of t-shirts. I didn't know where it went. I'm pretty sure that we still had the money, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. So uh, that should have been red flag number one for us, that I should have never been in charge of finances. <laughs> so we found out pretty quickly that because I have uh, an overspending problem, Missy would be the one to be better running our finances. And we've been, you know, pretty good ever since. <laughs> But greed has the tendency to result in overspending because the desire to always have more will always trump wanting to help other people. And we're going to talk about what that means here in just a little bit. So a life of greed or letting greed eat away at you can result in a life of overspending. Next, a life of greed releases My anger releases my anger. You know, anger is a temptation we're going to talk about next week. But in James chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, You want what you don't have. You are jealous for what others have. So you fight and you quarrel. You see, a life of greed leads to a person being just angry all the time. Because even though you have given into that greed doesn't mean that you always get what you want. And when you don't get what you want, it can lead to thoughts and feelings of anger. And angry people are just no fun to be around. And so a life of greed releases my anger. Now, this one, I think, is is very interesting. A life of greed reignites other sins. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For a greedy person is really an idolater who worships the things of the world. Ouch. (laughs) You know, if we think about the Ten Commandments, if we think about those that short list of rules and guidelines that God gave us for our lives, and he condensed it even further in the New Testament with Jesus when Jesus uh, told the religious leaders that really the, the two commandments are to love God and love others. But even if just looking at the Ten Commandments, we can see that all of them at their base level focus on not being greedy. Keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Well, if you're not keeping the Sabbath, then you're just working all the time. And why are you working all the time? Is it because you want more? Is it because you want more money? More prestige? A better job? Hmm. Don't love any other gods other than God. Which could also be talking about idol worship. And I think that at its base level, anything that isn't God could be considered idolatry. So what is it that we put above God in our lives? Is it our car? Is it money? Is it a hobby that we have? You know, idol worship is just something that we do, that we put in place of a deep love of God. And that comes down to greed. So when we really think about it, a life of greed reignites other sins. And lastly, you'll see a life of greed reduces my spiritual growth. A life of greed reduces my spiritual growth. Because if we are constantly giving in to greed, we're not giving ourselves an opportunity to let God work in our lives. If we're constantly looking at just something more or I just need to do a little bit more, or I just need to have a little bit more. We're never going to be happy. And it goes back to that first one that it robs our joy. If all we're doing is pursuing the next big thing, or just getting a little bit more, how can we ever be happy? So let's look at together some ways to navigate the landmines of greed and live a life of generosity. Because at the end of the day, if we want to really overcome our greed, we have to beat greed with generosity. We're going to talk about that in a second. So first of all, we need to establish firmly that God will meet all of my needs. Establish firmly that God will meet all of my needs. Proverbs chapter 28 Verse 25 says, Greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. And it's so true. 
That if we are totally focused on what God can do for us, and what we can then turn around and do for Him, greed doesn't even come into the picture anymore. So if we're totally trusting that God can do whatever it is He needs for us, then greed is left at the doorstep. You see here in a memory verse, I want to challenge you this week to think about Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. It says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from the glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, at the end of the day, do we really need more of whatever it is we think we need? And my challenge at this point would be, if we think whatever it is we think we need more of, would God also think that? Or is it just something that we want? So number one, establish firmly that God will meet all of my needs. And then number two, expand the habits of contentment and gratitude. Expand the habits of contentment and gratitude. Now, this point is probably the the most challenging, at least for me personally. Because when I think about a life of contentment, that's something that's pretty hard for me. Because I think for a long time in my life, I've given in to that mentality where I just want to do a little bit more or I, I just want to have a little bit more so we'll be comfortable or I, I just want to have, uh, you know, the next job so that I can say that I've reached my goal in my career. I just want a, a little bit more so that we don't have any debt or I just want a little bit more so that, so that, so that, so that. But why is it that I can't just be content with where we are? You see, if, if all we're doing every, each and every day is just saying, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if, I mean, are we really living? Are we really living the kind of life that God wants us to live? If all we're doing each and every day is waking up and just saying, you know what, I'm going to be happy when, whatever. I know I'll be happy when I win the Powerball Kudos to the lady that, if you don't, Misty told me the lady that won a bunch of money from the Powerball. It's what is it, cerebral palsy and lots of different things. And I mean, think about a person who deserves a break. <laughs> but if all we're doing is waking up every day and just saying, "I'll be happy if I get this," oh. Even better, have you ever prayed that prayer? (laughs) God, if you just give me... Oh, Father Jesus. (laughs) If you would just give me a brand new car. Debt free. (laughs) That's it though, isn't it? (laughs) Are we really living a life of, of contentment and gratitude... 
God, if you would just give me a million dollars, not only would I be able to pay off my debts, I'd put a new wing on the church, I promise. (laughs) Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, there in your notes, say, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You see, God calls us to a life that's totally focused on Him. To love God and to love others is really the only thing that we need to be worried about. We shouldn't ever let thoughts of, if I just had this or if I just had that, consume our daily lives. What we should be thinking about is, what can I do with what I do have? Colossians chapter 2 says, Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all that he has done. Now, I think a lot of times for us it's easy to say, Yeah, man, God, thank you so much for, for doing what you've done. Thank you so much for letting me pay off some of my debts. Thanks, God, for, for letting us pay off this car. Or thanks, God, for new grandbabies and great-grandbabies and great-great-great-grandbabies. And thanks, God, for all of these great things. But are we at the same time living a life of thanksgiving and contentment for what we do have? So expand the habits of contentment and gratitude. Number three, we want to exercise intentional acts of open-handed living every day. Exercise intentional acts of open-handed living Every day. Now, let's talk about what that means. We cannot really live a life of generosity. We cannot really beat greed with generosity if we are not living a life of open-handed living. To define that a little bit more, what that means is we need to learn to let go. We need to learn to let go of the stuff that has been holding us back for so long. Of the stuff that is, that stuff that we wake up and say, if I would just have a little bit more of this, we just need to learn to let it go. There's that cliche saying that if we just let go and let God, lots of great things will happen. Sometimes that might be true. I always want to encourage people, though, because there's a lot of misconceptions about what Scripture teaches. God called us to a specific life. And sometimes that life is hard. And sometimes the road is not easy. And so just because we profess to believe and just because we will pray certain prayers or just because we say certain words doesn't always mean that we're going to turn around and be blessed with buckets of things. <laughs> Sometimes it rains and it pours. But if we're living a life of contentment and gratitude and being in our contentment live open-handed 
generous with the things that we do have, it can lead to blessings that we may not even consider. We just need to learn to let go. Because when we do, God can do amazing things. When we step out of the way and let God do his stuff through us, incredible things can happen. So I want to make a challenge. We've got a couple more things to talk about, but when we, thought, when we think about living an open-handed life every day, I want to issue this small challenge. I want you to think about just one small thing you can do each day this week as we come up to next Sunday. Just one small thing that you can do for someone else to bless them or to encourage them or whatever it is. One small thing that you can do, one small gesture that you can do each day. Write it down. Keep track of it. Make a note in your phone. Whatever makes sense to you. Just one small thing that you can do each day to somebody around you to make their life a little bit better. To make their day go a little bit brighter. And then at the end of the week, before you come to church next week, I want you to think about the things that you did. Reflect on what you wrote down through the week, what you jotted down. And think about how that applies to your own life. Were you truly living content with what you have and generous by living that open-handed life, blessing somebody in just a small way each day this week as we lead up to next week's topic? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, it says, I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. In Acts chapter 20, Jesus was saying that it was more blessed to give than to receive. And in Proverbs 21, it says, They are always greedy for more, while the godly love to give. You know, <clears throat> when I think about the first century church, when we start, we start reading the, the very first part of the book of Acts in the New Testament, and it talks about how the, the church got its start. And it talks about how everybody was giving to everyone else as they had need. That's how I think that church, and especially people in a church, should focus our lives. We get snippets of that through the year where we get to come together and we get to be generous together. Our annual yard garage sale that we do every year is a good example where we collect items and just give it away to people who have need. If you've not been, uh, had an opportunity to be a part of that, uh, we're going to, for the foreseeable future, continue to do things like that, especially at that time of year. And I would really encourage you to be a part of it because it will, it will bless you immensely. I know me personally is something that I look forward to every year. To be able to meet here and see people come in and get what they need, especially in the holiday season. It's a really incredible time. 
Nelson Searcy, uh, where the, a lot of this lesson was derived, wrote a book called The Generosity Ladder. And uh, we have uh, some copies of that um, that we'd like to give away today. Um, they're going to be back there, um, on that table back there. Uh, we've got 19 copies. We probably want to encourage in the effort of fairness to, to kind of go for 19 families instead of individuals. Um, that way we have, make sure we have enough to go around. Um, but if you would like to take home uh, his book, The Generosity Ladder, we would encourage you to do so today. Um, it's a great resource about learning what this, this whole concept is about living a life of contentment and gratitude and open-handed living generous to those around us. So we want you to be encouraged to do that today as well. Lastly, on the back of your notes, you'll see that we want to enjoy a lifetime of generosity. Because truly, the way that we beat the landmine of greed in our life is by living a generous life. In Luke chapter 12, it says, Then Jesus said, Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. <coughs> Excuse me. And in Philemon chapter 1, it says, You are generous because of your faith. And I'm praying that you will really put your generosity to work. For in doing so, you will come to an understanding of all the good things we can do for Christ. You see, when we're living a life of generosity, greed takes a step back. God's remedy to the temptation of greed is generosity. The biggest and best example of beating the temptation of greed and the best example of generosity is, of course, John 3.16, which we all know. That God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And when I think about explaining what sacrifice meant to my seven-year-old daughter, when we watched the Chronicles of Narnia and we saw the lion climb up onto the altar and sacrifice his life for somebody else, I was asking her, I said, do you remember in the Bible what happened to Jesus? Of course, whenever you, I, I know she knows the answers, but whenever you ask her, she just, no. Okay, well, let's talk about it. So I said, do you remember what happened in the Bible when Jesus goes to the cross? And he dies on the cross, and then what? He was buried. Yeah, he was buried. Well, then what happened? Did he stay in there? No. No. Three days later, he rose, and he wasn't dead anymore. And of course we see that play down in the movie as Aslan, the altar breaks in half and he comes back to life. 
And in the movie, the quote goes something along the lines of, you see, if the, if the white witch had known the true interpretation of the deep magic, she would have known that somebody who sacrifices, who was blameless and sacrifices himself for another, even the power of death cannot hold them down. You see, when we live a life of generosity, when we live an open-handed life, content with where we are, willing to give what we have, to not only help out others, but in the love of Christ, give so that his kingdom will become greater. That is how greed disappears from our life entirely. When we finally decide that the question is no longer going to be, God, if I could just have this, or if I could just do this, but instead says, God, if I can take what I have now and give, what would you have me do? When we start living that kind of generous life, not only will our greed take a back seat, we'll experience a joyful life and a content life and a filled life, but the people around us will start to see that type of love and joy. And his kingdom will be greater as a result. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your example. Thank you so much for the biggest example of generosity that we could probably have. And that was the sacrifice of your son for us. Father, sometimes it's difficult living in a world that's so broken. But what a joy to have the hope of a life eternal with you if we would just believe. And so, Father, as we come to you today, asking earnestly that you would guide us throughout this week, Father, help us to look for little things that we can do for those around us to show generosity, to show what it means to live an open-handed life. Instead of closing our fist and holding on to everything, and God, help us to give. For when we live generously, we will see true joy. So God, as we go from this place, let us be focused totally on you. And in the end, we will give you all the praise and glory. Thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.